recording. We are recording, and it's been a little while. It's been about a month or so. Yes, who's back? Oh, he's not <laughs> back again. I'm gonna. Th- we're back. Yeah, we're back. Um, and we have a guest this week. We do. This last. This is our sixth guest no, in a row. Uh, so we have my life, my choice. We had my father, my choice. We had Sally Phillips and Haley. And we had Dan. So he's the fifth guest. John Lish. And we have a guest next week. So that will be the sixth one. Uh, John Lish. John Lish. John Lish. So John Lish has been a big supporter of the podcast from the beginning, really. He invited us to a conference. Yeah, Uh, a few few, uh, months back. Uh, he is a trustee of Waymark's charity as well. It's worth saying we talk about it in there. So, um, but it's a really cool charity that works with people who have, who have additional needs and have come into contact with the criminal justice system in some way. And I mean, I'm not going to go into detail about that. Like he he explains it better than I will be able to. But um, yeah. so yeah, we've met we've met John a couple couple times before. Um, really nice guy. And we were trying to find a good time to do the podcast. And he was in Oxford for a event. Um, so we managed to manage to get yeah get him it on. was really great I was literally hanging off yeah, of every, literally, there, literally. There was, there's a great <laughs> moment where he says something and me and Jack just they, they, there was nothing else to say yeah, he'd, he say, was... he'd said it all um, but really really interesting episode um, and we talk about so we talk about his his role in Waymark's charity and what they do then we sort of move on to the, the so much uh, highlights the learning from death's report that came out on Leader. the 4th Leader. of May, um, which would have been the Friday just gone when this gets released. Yeah. We talk about uh, disability benefits, disability benefits assessments, austerity, um, Birmingham. Birmingham. Apologies to Birmingham in advance. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just really, really nice chat because we hadn't done it in a little while. So I think both me and Jack were a little bit. Yeah. And there's also a revelation of one of Tom's hidden talents <laughs> it's not a talent but i'm not gonna not spoil it. it now um but yeah uh on twitter john lish is at lost transport and we are at challenging pod individually jack is at wasp kill bears and i'm at rapid rhino one two three and we'll tell you all those things again in the out at the end thank uh, you so much for listening yeah so, and if you're still here for after that month break good on you i'm really sorry that we <laughs> We're busy. <laughs> We've got jobs. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> Enjoy. Or don't. Do what you want. That is us rocking and a rolling. We're recording. So We're back. Yeah, it's been a little while, but we have a we have a guest today. Hello. Hello there, yes. Who, who are you? <laughs> oh, well, my name's John Lish, and I've sort of been involved with things like uh, Justice for LB for quite a while, and last Sunday I was walking the bus around Sutton Park. Yeah, yeah I saw the pictures there. It looked really good fun. It was. It's a really, really lovely, it's a huge park. Big nature was served. There's lots of interesting sort of historical features to it there's a Roman road there there's you know sort of a stone age sort of buildings and stuff and huge uh, lakes 
and a donkey sanctuary, which we went in and oh, nice. patted some donkeys and just generally had a nice little break from the walking. <laughs> that's, in, that's in Birmingham? That's in Birmingham, yes. That's odd, because I've only ever seen grey grey <laughs> buildings whenever I've been there. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I yes, didn't know the, there was the, a nice the, side. The, <laughs> Sorry, <yeah>. Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> it's very green. I mean, people don't realise that, especially south of the city, they're just... Uh, so many trees and parks and it's quite spacious so the roads, roads are normally quite large and roomy so whereas you go to somewhere like where I, I came from previously Portsmouth it's all super dense and everyone's tight on top of each other and you go to Birmingham even though there's like a million people there yeah. it just doesn't feel like that because it's because it's you know a huge conurbation and you've just got these amazing parks which is really we can go you know, enjoy in time. Oh, great. I've only been to Birmingham like once in my life and I was very young, so I don't have to go back Does now. the memory haunt you? <laughs> no, <laughs> I was playing, it's a strange memory. I was in primary school and I was playing um, the baritone because we all got given a brass instrument in class. <laughs> this is uh, like hidden <laughs> talents and everything you had. Our school class got, each got given a brass instrument that we had to play and um, me and like four other kids had baritones which are these really big instruments and like a couple of kids got trombones and loads of people got little cornets and trumpets and stuff and uh, we ended up playing at the Birmingham City Football Ground and Barney from Blue Peter did like presented it it was all very odd because none of us could play apart from like one kid who had lessons outside of school but that's the only time I've been to Birmingham and I was very young I enjoyed it but I didn't see any of the parts no that, that, that's small heath that's that, that, that's quite urban um, <laughs> So yeah, before we get into the the, the nitty and gritty of everything, I'm gonna have to tell Tom to mind his manners because every time you're putting your elbow on the table, I'm hearing a big bang. Oh, I'm so, sorry. <laughs> so manners. So John, uh, you're involved with a charity. Is it a charity? Is it? It, a... it is a charity. Uh, the charity's named Waymarks. It's a charity that works with people who have a diagnosis or learning disability or and or autism who have come into contact with the criminal justice system and so what we do is is basically a way of we provide a program for them to sort of follow and develop their own skills and their ability to manage themselves and to give them the sort of life skills and perspectives so that they can understand what the world is when something happens, what what the appropriate relationships to it? Basically, we give them a chance to grow up properly, which mm. often, you know, people with learning disabilities don't have because they're put, you know, they're either kept in schools or they're kept in, you know, sort of small institutions or whatever else, and they don't really, a they don't get to learn, and b if they make a mistake, one mistake, that's it. And often it's like, well, no, we can't trust you anymore to do, do anything else. Whereas, you know, the rest of us, we get to make mistakes, we get to behave in quite appalling manners, but we don't get locked away. And, you know, we can develop and learn to stuff. And I think that's the key thing is, is that what we do is very much their choice. It requires them to make a choice to begin with. It is, do they want to do the programme? They choose who they get to work with in terms of who actually is around them 
and given them the support. Obviously, we had a specialist psychiatry team that also worked with them, and obviously that relationship's a bit more structured in terms of, well, this is who you are going to have to work with. But it's really about, they have to have the capacity to make a choice and to make change in their lives and we'll support them. We'll know they'll make mistakes, we'll know that they'll get to learn. And it's that process that enables them to need less support. And so what we try to do is have a seven year program. And by the end of seven years, they don't need us. They can live on their own in, in, in the community and everyone else is feeling comfortable with them living on their own in the community without support. And that's a really big thing. Yeah. Because that saves huge amounts of money for the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. And also it means they're having a life. Yeah. yeah that should be really the outcome for most charities yeah, that's, that's, uh, that that's work true. with anyone with any kind of disability really is the, yeah, the end game should be that they don't need them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not really the case, especially with, with you know sort of LD charities. They're 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 quite a sort of uh, sort of this is what we do. This is how we support them, and that just sort of continues on. So obviously, we're we're, we're quite a niche little charity. Mm. So who we work with are people capable of making those steps and everything else. But it wouldn't be so fair on people with less capacity to ask them to do that. But some of what we do could be taken and actually, again, sort of help people to sort of, they have more capacity and more ability to look after themselves. So, so you know, we should definitely all be moving towards more self-actualization and more self-regulation. But hopefully, but you know, some people obviously need more support throughout their lives. It's a question of how much support and whether you know you want to make a commitment and investment into them. And that's the big thing. We don't make enough investment and commitment into people, mm -hmm. unfortunately. No, yeah, that's it's um so Adam who does the podcast with us, but he's not he's not here, he's not here on the last few ones. Um He's a really big fan. I mean, I, I am too. Of the like, he calls it like a scaffolding model, where when you're working with someone, like you put things in place that will help them, and then you slowly take them away. And like, like with a building, you know, when you're building it, you have the scaffolding, and then you build it and build it, make it stronger until you can take it away and you're not needed. And it's a, it can be a really, really powerful way of delivering any sort of support, because, like you said, you know, in theory, the end goal should be that you're not, you know, people need to have their own lives, not not sort of scaffolded ones. But yeah. No, not, not sort of, uh, okay, you have your own flat, which is really a bedroom in a, in a shared, shared accommodation. No, no, we, we need to be more ambitious for people. I think that's one of the big, biggest issues that we've got is that we don't have the ambition. We continue, I mean, I, mean, I was reading today that the government are shying away from having schools fulfil accessibility criteria, so they're trying to lower that still, which just seems to me so such a waste of time and energy and money, because this because it's like 
you want them to be in school, you want to be as accessible as possible, integrated as possible, so they can be as productive and happy and healthy as possible. Because that's basically you know what life is about, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that, you know, and it just frustrates me. I'll give you an example, a good example. Uh, you know, an acquaintance of mine, his young daughter has been diagnosed with cerebral palsy. That's a physical condition, not a mental condition. And at two, three years old, it's the perfect time for physiotherapy because you get the best results out of it. Will they fund it? No. So, so you save money now, but all these costs keep building up to, towards mm-hmm. the end. And it, it seems like we can't seem to res- get our head round, invest now, save later. That seems to be the real big so, problem. Yeah, it's the, the approach is kind of, we don't recognise that if you approach everyone with the vision that they can be in work, sort of contributing to society and all these things when they're an adult, if you don't have that view for people when they're sort of five, six years old or younger, you know, you've got no chance of it happening when they're, mm. when they're an adult. If you give up on anyone, from, like, even before they've had a chance to show you what they can do, it's, yeah. it's a really bad I don't think you can outlook. You can't give up on someone you haven't even... Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> yeah. But you can't... If you're not involved with something to begin with, you can't have given up. That's yeah. a sad thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that thing that everyone talks about, potential. Everyone has potential. And that potential may be small, it may be large, it may be great. But if we don't open the opportunities to explore that potential, then some people will make it anyway. They'll drag themselves through. They'll make the best of it, despite the system and despite the lack of support. But you just wonder what would happen if we just committed for, you know, 20 years, that we would flip on its head and put a huge amount of investment into inclusivity at a young age and physiotherapy and all the supports rather than it being a battle between parents and and local authorities and parents and if we just turned it around invested it for 20 years and then just followed it through in terms of you know an academic research and at the end of that 20 years then let's look look at what's been achieved none of this one year two year programs 20 years 30 years 40 years because that's the only way we'll be able to tell whether that intervention really works and how much it saves. But until we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll ever know. So, I'm on my soapbox here, aren't I? Already? <laughs> that's exactly what we are. Yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's what it's about. And there's, I mean, there's the other, there's sort of another level to it that is what um, my dad talked about when he was on, which is that even it's, it, it, it's great and the investment and the money that we can save if we invest early, but even that, sorry. <laughs> the, table. Um, the investment and the money we can save is also a great thing but even the, the just the human level of it doesn't the money's not even really important like if, if we can contribute to people living a great life regardless of how you know you don't have to contribute money wise to still contribute in society and that kind of again there's such a such a big emphasis on well it's going to cost this amount of money so we shouldn't really do it when actually you know if, if this person goes on to make everyone in their 
community happy and sort of put a smile on people's mm-hmm. faces just because they're out and about having a good time. That's kind of that's worth so much more than any any funding and money. But it is it, it's it's just ridiculous, really. Like you said, you know, it just needs we just need to invest in people and believe in people and kind of let people achieve what they can and mm. and will if you do. It's kind of. Yeah, and obviously what we're talking about is obviously the opposite of what's been happening over the last last few years because something like six billion pounds been taken out of adult social care since 2010. It's a huge amount, and you know people who receive sort of lower level support have been sort of cut adrift, and everything has been sort of looked at again. What can we say? What else can we get someone else to pay for? So this whole thing about classing bedrooms as flats mm-hmm. is about getting housing benefit on Whitehall because that's separate from everything else, and you can't and you can claim that without there being any more restrictions on it. As long as it classifies as they have their own front door, you know, it's a door inside a house with a sort of communal areas and staff in and out. They can still climb it down so there's been this huge reassessment of people to try and squeeze as much cost out of the system mm. as possible and that's been done to people rather than with them <laughs> as well so you tend to find that again it's all about battles and some social workers just have the finances on and they'll, 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 and you know, I know examples where social workers call, call someone up and say, "Oh, we're coming to cut your budget. Let's let's review it." It's like, what? <laughs> no, needs first, and any budget has to has to support Work the needs because yeah. that that's what the law says. But obviously, what the law says and what people do are just. You know, not really always the same thing. So, so you end, you end up, you know, like this afternoon, I, I was listening to all, all these academic lawyers talk about, you know, discrimination and intersectionality between disability, race, gender, everything else in terms of discrimination. And you think, well, that's all very nice, but people just ignore that yeah. <laughs> often. And you, you think... You know, it's like it's sometimes it's just hard to get your head around just quite how blazing it is and it, and often it can be you can have, have very different philosophies within the same council department so one ma- social worker manager is hammering away and there's lots of tribunals and all those sort of costs coming up and another one doesn't behave in the same way to get you Good practice and bad practices happening simultaneously, and they're like sitting four desks away from each yeah, other in, in the main office. And you f- do you not talk to each other? Yeah. And the, um, with the in terms of this cutting costs as well, that's led to these sort of. I've, I mean, I've heard quite a few horror stories, as I'm sure you guys have. This sort of strangely, kind of, well, not strangely, but like hugely, like demeaning sort of disability assessments you have to go through to prove that you're disabled to get your benefits and things like that the stories that you hear about things kind of as you said you know just attempting to squeeze as much like you know try and try and make sure that as little people as 
can can access it and then sort of paint it as people scrounging for the mm-hmm. for the money. It's kind of people have to jump through these sort of impossible hoops just to prove that they have that they can't work or they can't and it is mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's, it's really shameful really like that we are kind of doing this to people as a society is kind of and you it, it, it's important like when I read it you just it doesn't seem like it should it seems so backwards kind of years and years ago that would be a thing not not 20, 2018 kind of blows my mind <laughs> yeah because I mean the last time I, I got in taking an important disability assessment for my benefits. I was in there for about an hour and three quarters. That, that's like warfare yeah. in terms of they're trying to trip you up in terms of to say that you're not disabled yeah. and you're not. And it's like you have to keep reminding them, well, no, this is what it said, this is why it says it. These are, are the issues. But it's incredibly demeaning because yeah. you it, it, it just devalue yourself for what is nice to use amount of money as well but you just need a little bit just to sort of help you survive and stuff but that whole thing is just so if you know how to play the game if you know how to write the right application forms then you've got a better chance of succeeding but a lot of people just trip up because they don't know the process yeah we uh we kind of looked at some of the benefits available and we did a quiz at Christmas and we just couldn't get our heads around it at all like how it worked what 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 the different like levels were it was just a just it was in a, it was just a website that was just text 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 I couldn't find any kind of um, more accessible version of it uh, at all like I've seen a lot of uh, places being trying to make a bit more of an effort having easy read um, forms things like the NHS have been doing that a lot recently but not on any kind of uh, government website have I seen that no and it's re- really odd because they're, they're meant to be doing digital by default except for some of these the, these forms which are not digital by default you have to search out for the forms and even then they're not really really accessible so you've got to be quite IT literate in order mm-hmm. to translate them back and forth in order to, to apply you know, to use a computer, so all these little barriers are put there just to trip people up, and eventually people give up because yeah. it's like it's just too much hassle. You know, a friend of mine's just given up recently, and you know, he's he was on you know disability living allowance for, for ages because he has a he has, has a a condition as well as depression, but change up over the reassessment, boom, off you go. Mm. And it's like I can't face the appeal. It's just too hard. Yeah, it's just, it is, it's it's disgusting, isn't it? It's, it's really um, it makes me it just makes me mad. Like even here, like and like, but where do we go? Like who do you, who can we? But yeah, like there's just no. Yeah. What can we? And it's not. What can we do? There's like, no. There's no. I know we've touched on this before, but you know, like if you if that's really personal to you and something that you really believe in. Who do you even vote for? Like, I can't think of a single party that has ever sort of said we're going to make sure that this stops happening. Or this, it's kind and of cross-party problem. It's kind of yeah. And your your dad kind of touched upon it as well, where they don't feel like this is where the the votes are going to come from, so they don't feel the need to address these issues, um, which is yeah. I mean, in, in shit. Ter- <laughs> yeah. In terms of 
political research, if there, there is a centre ground, it's for more authoritarian po policies rather than less, which is quite scary. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, you, you see, you've seen the Windrush stuff, it's like 44% mm. still saying government's not harsh enough. Mm. You think, blimey, yes. <laughs> what do they want them? You know, what do they want? Do they want SWAT teams going out and just dragging people? No, they <laughs> probably do. <laughs> I think it, again, this is what, what my dad kind of touched on, is when, if you've never had an experience, if you've never met someone who you benefits from, say, disability living allowance or someone who's kind of on, you know, who is on benefits for another reason or something like that, you know, it's, it's, it is easy to just think, well, it's my money going to other people. I want to make sure that they're really getting it for the right reasons and things. And there's no kind of level of sort of sympathy to it. And it's and it causes these issues. Like with Windrush, if you, if you don't have any one close to you who could have been deported for those reasons, you know, you're going to think there's going to be a part of you that thinks, well, we should be deporting, blah, blah, blah. and it's, it's ridiculous, you know, it's, it's so unfair and so sort of selfish of you to hold, but it's just, it just happens when, when, when there's not an, in, when society doesn't integrate properly, and in, like you said, you know, when we don't invest in inclusivity and making sure that people get to just have, sort of mingle with everyone, you know, no one, you don't avoid, you end up in a situation where you've got full-grown people who can vote, who haven't, mm. who've never met anyone with a disability and, and sort of have these strange beliefs that people are going around pretending they're disabled to take all the money away from us. It's, so, yeah. You know, it's, it's profound. It's, it's just, yeah. I think there's a kind of an attitude as well of um, kind of what you were touching upon, John, is just once, so once they uh, feel like they've got, like people with a disability have gotten to a kind of life that's comfortable, then they think, okay, we've done our job, rather than you say, actually they may yeah. be going reaching their full potential it's like mm. oh they're fine they're getting on they've got a flat yeah they've got a flat inverted commas yeah. you know yeah that's it that's all they don't need anything else whereas anyone else in life would be going out and chasing their dreams well, that's, <laughs> you know living in a in one room as you said you know that's that's that wouldn't be okay well not okay it's not a problem but it's it, it wouldn't be the goal for for you know yeah anyone like you want to you want to be striving for more but like yeah like you said Jack, yeah, so it's so. very unlikely that anyone will ever own a house ever again <laughs> yeah look at in the current current yeah, market yeah I, I, I feel sorry for you guys because obviously I'm, I'm old and I've been on the property ladder for, for 25 years <laughs> it's that's not, like, more than Tom's been alive <laughs> you know so you know, I, I, I bought my, my, my first flat when I was 22 it's like you know it was a different culture back then mm -hmm. and it was affordable and you could do that and it's just become Barking mad now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got a mortgage at ten times my my salary. What? <laughs> it's affordable. Uh. <laughs> it's, um, it is scary. It's a scary thought. Don't like to think about it. <laughs> but I think as, as going back to something you said earlier, Jack. I think one of the tensions we got with the benefit system is that we lock people into place. Mm -hmm. Is that? We, we spend some people spend so much time proving that they're disabled that they don't actually get the opportunity to flourish and develop themselves mm -hmm. because then 
it's this big cliff edge. As soon as you, you start to show a bit more capability, whoosh, the whole rope gets pulled away and you tumble back down. And part of what we haven't been able to design yet is a system that allows us to a gradually move away support but also encourage people to develop more because, because you want that because it's a very human thing to want to progress with your life but none of our systems were actually very good at designing systems to actually allow people to do that so I think that's what and that's one of the key tensions people spend so much time proving they're disabled it's like don't ask me to do anything else so it becomes a full-time role to prove that you're you're incapable because that's because the nature of care by its very, very meaning is that it feels an absence mm. that's you know, because you're not able to self-regulate your entire life and it's and whilst people can sort of support on friends and family and stuff care means that you need this additional intrusion into your life in order to help you help you sort of have, have your life but the nature of that actually is quite difficult because that creates tensions in terms of if I allow people in do I I'm used to that then you know if I do a little bit more it's all taken away so, so we create this culture of fear and a lack of risk taking and a lack of uh, that inability to, you know, try things and to experience things. And that's a really sad thing. We, we increasingly build these little boxes. And I don't know quite how to redesign that to make it work differently. But we need to do a lot more thinking around what, how do we change this? Because we're not saving money by doing it. All we're doing is we're just creating, you know, a more passive part of the community. And that, that can't be valuable for anyone. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a bit philosophical as well. Yeah, that's, 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 um, that's just, yeah, that's... Nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> nothing we can add to that. That is... is yeah, it's just so spot on, you know, you can't how can you expect someone who's kind of had to spend so long trying to prove that they're disabled to then feel confident and kind of because it's so demeaning yeah. as well like how are you ever going to have the self-confidence to kind of try something new and also with the fear that you, you might get your benefits taken away at the first sight that you and might you're, yeah you know you're excelling yeah mm. it's, um, it's just it's crazy because the thing is as well like to Politically wise, you know, the money is there; it's just in the wrong places, and then and it, it but it gets taken from the wrong places as well. You know, it's not like we're it's not like we take the money from the pot that we're burning to bomb Syria. You know, we take it from take it from the people who actually need it. It's, it's mm -hmm. ridiculous. It's yeah, pots and silos. <laughs> that that that's the way of the world. Um, you know, if you spend in this little silo, then that one's okay. So this is what we get people pushed into. You know. You know, why we get people going into hospitals because oh, it's the NSS that pays for that, rather than being the local authority. And adult social care that pays for that, so it becomes a lot easier to just it means you save here, and obviously they spend there. But 
the, the twain never meets. There's yeah. no holistic idea about. And we all know this. We all know this happens. But knowing it and doing something about it, is, there's a whole, there's a whole series of steps. Because in order to change this behaviour, you probably need more energy and money in the system in order to try and flip it. But of course, if there's no, if everyone's sort of trying to squeeze down on, on funding, then it tends to get stuck in the same things that it's always funded. So, so we end up sort of being stuck in these little little ruts of this is, this is how we've done it. So although people want to be creative, they want to try and change stuff, it's very hard to shift it, especially as we're still sort of, you know, 10 years from the, the banking crisis, still in a period of austerity. And that's, you know, and until we, we, we move beyond that, until there's sort of proper economic growth, and that's looking quite dodgy at the moment, you think we're just going to continue having these ruts and being disappointed and having these frustrations and people having lots of good ideas and making changes on the margins that are really, really good and useful. But we never quite resolve what, we, what our problems... So we know what the problem is. We know what we want to go to. But getting from A to B is the bit we don't know. It's like self-part underpants knows, in effect. You know, it's like still underpants, profit, in the middle, no one knows. <laughs> and and that's, that's basically, you know, that's basically government policy, underpants knows. <laughs> I think that's going to have to... That's the episode yeah, title yeah, of underpants knows. Government policy, underpants knows. Blows my mind, honestly. honestly scares me. Yeah. I voted for the first time yesterday as well, which was exciting. It wasn't as uh, revolutionary as I thought it was going to be. It was just lots of old people and no one else voting. But I thought that, you know, I was expecting people like smashing things and writing <laughs> on the walls, starting a revolution. I haven't seen the result for my area yet. I think it would have stayed. Was it Labour before? It was Labour, like, there was, it would have been Labour or Green where I was. My area lost its Labour seat for the first time in 10 years. Oh, really? It went lived down. Oh, oh. Wild card. Oxford as a whole is it's, it's crazy. Like, there's no Tory seats on the council. So but but Lib Dems had a little, little revival. But all the areas around me are Lib Dem, mm. which is surprising because I've never met a Liberal Democrat. I don't think in, in Oxford everyone's very. They tend to hide. Well, uh, <laughs> embarrassed. Well, the MP for one half of Oxford is Lib Dem. Late Lib Moran. Oh, yeah. No, that's not where I live. So I was yeah, yeah, the other half. Yeah. I can't remember who it is. And all these gods. Oh, there you go. <laughs> So, people are going to be able to work out where we oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably the same I'm probably the same actually I don't know I wasn't living there when the last election happened I don't well, know yeah there's only two constituencies in Oxford so yeah. we just live north or south <laughs> um, yeah so we first met John when he invited us to come to a Law and policy extravaganza. Uh, the conference, yes. Conference, yes. It, it was the fir- first one of its kind. And this is. Yeah. And actually, this 
I should pay tribute to my friend Marie Tidball, who's the driving force <coughs> over the last few years in increasing the prominence of disability in law within Oxford. And for the last few years, she's, she, she campaigned initially to get more reading material to be sort of disability related, called Let's Get Disability on, on the List. And from there, she then created a, a disability in law mooting competition where obviously law students compete in front of in front of a in front of you know judges and it, it's a competition and the best art, legal arguments win wins overall and that's been quite prestigious and they had uh, James Mumby who, who's a really quite quite a lovely and quite senior judge yeah. who was who chaired that competition one year and then she's built a this, this conference which was the first one of its kind in Oxford as part of setting up you know an, a postgraduate course in disability in law and also a I've forgotten what you call it a a, a a centre for disability in law in Oxford. So this is a last few years. She's moved moved it from trying to get reading materials to now establishing an, an actual an actual faculty within a an actual centre within the law faculty specifically for disability disability law, oh, which great. is you know so so that was a big sort of coming out. Mm-hmm. that conference the first of its kind and obviously it will be, be an annual thing and you know, you know it was uh, yeah so it's an in, in, interesting two, two days especially with, with, with the strike because the strike actually meant it was meant to be Friday, Saturday turned to be Saturday, Sunday so, and there were some quite you know prestigious speakers there yeah. as well so, and little old me who was there because <laughs> I really liked me to talk at things. <laughs> yeah, so you you were mainly talking about um, the Richard Hanley case, and today on the day we're recording is a day where a report has come out. Yeah. Um, I don't know its official name. It's the Learning Disabilities Mortality Review. There you go. Uh, I just wondered if you had any thoughts you might want to share. Um. Oh dear God! (laughs) (laughs) What can you say? It is really. I mean, the frustration people have with this, because we've seen the recent inquest of Richard Hanley, Hanley, and the lack of care and the lack of this carelessness and these young men have died through people not basically giving a shit about what what their lives are like and so the last three years this research group have been trying to examine learning learning disabilities deaths but they've had obstruction because people haven't cooperated properly or haven't been provided information 
they've been self-marking the level of care they got so they think that if they apply with the law then that's a good or an excellent service which the law to be a baseline not 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 you know the pinnacle if, if the law is the pinnacle then we've got a huge problem un yeah. underneath and it's really been that and it's really been you know the whole way it's been sort of just put out there because the port seems to have been sort of completed mainly last year yet they sort of delayed it and delayed it and just sort of flopped it out by some sort of obscure cupboard mm -mm, middle Whitehall somewhere oh you can go but you know people have found it and stuff and just been really depressed by the fact that you know we've got so many people dying in hospitals uh, that you know if under 50s uh, it's 28% of people adult diagnosis die before they're 50 whereas the general population is about five percent so it's a five-fold increase obviously we don't know quite i don't know the methodology quite yet of that in terms of whether they're taking into account things like uh, comorbidities because obviously if you've got other major health issues then then if you do comparison between that population in the lone disabilities population and that population in the gym population. So it might actually be worse or better, but until I actually properly sort of dug into it, I don't really know. But it's just it's just been sort of flopped out there without matched care, no statements. Jeremy Hunt is not saying anything. And you just wonder well, what are you doing this for? It's like, if you don't cooperate, if you don't... It, I mean, you know, why do this half-hearted pretense? Either do it properly and, and you know, instruct people to do it so we can actually find out what's going on. Or we'll just do this half-hearted thing and, yeah, it's basically we're doing what we've done before and people are dying early, but, you know, who cares? It's basically seems to be, be the attitude so you know it's been really quite you know depressing depressing reading the responses to it and people have been angry and depressed and it's understandable because it's like it's just like oh we do this because we have to you know protect people yeah. rather than no, you do it because you want to do it and you want to learn and you want to find out and you want to improve. Surely, you know. What's the point of being government if you're just going to be half asked about yeah. anything? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's been just reading the Twitter responses and stuff, you know, like it's a, the one that I saw that really stuck with me was um, someone tweeted, you know, after reading that and then when they look at their nine-year-old in the playground and knowing that you know he's gonna it's unlikely like it's, it's like it's very likely that his peers will live for sort of 10 or 15 years longer than him and then she tweeted just after that if he's lucky you know like the 10 or 15 years is the average but you know there's, like you said you know 28 percent before 50 it's, it's really it should and the, the way it's been released with like no statement i'm not saying it's deliberate but you know it's been swept up in the same day as the local election and things where there's lots of other news you know this should be 
a national scandal. People should be sort of up in arms. Like, like I, people really need to, you know, this is. Uh, if this doesn't get people angry enough to kind of even, you know, people should be revolting how bad this is. You know, like this is a real, like you said, just a, a real big mess, and it's not being resolved. You know, so we had it's, it's we had the Lazars told us sort of similar levels of things, and again, nothing nothing happened. We've got another report saying real, you know, highlighting how bad these issues are, and people aren't doing anything. And it's not, like, if you went out in the street and you just uh, asked um, someone, oh, what do you think of the Mazars report? They're probably like, what is that? Yeah. It's not a, it's a shame where the news is, it's like it's not a mainstream enough issue for them, in a way. Whether it's not going to attract people to read or watch, or which is a shame, and it is that I think again I think it's that whole idea where pe- there's an assumption that people with disabilities are less likely to vote, so they don't need feel the need to publicise it as much. And I mean, um, what my mum always says, um, and like quite a lot of people because I'm not, I'm not sure it's not I don't think it's an original <laughs> Sarah quote but you know we're reaching a point where these these reports are coming out they're saying these things nothing's happening but people are beginning to believe that having sort of a learning difficulty or an additional need instantly means that you don't live like that is a yeah, life limiting yeah. condition and it, you know having to explain to people that actually these these aren't something you know it's not it's, these aren't terminal these aren't and you know but the statistics just point you in that direction and just, you could probably Possibly link that back to right, like the idea of people with learning disabilities, etc., being just kind of popped in a shared accommodation, yeah. not going out into the community. You're not seeing um, like um, older people with learning disabilities, etc. Yeah. No, no. I, I think you know this is where something like obviously the Justice for LB campaign made a real difference in that it actually pushed learning disabilities onto the, you know, sort of agenda for, you know, for, for news reports and national news reports. And that's one of the, the, the joys of it was not only is it, it organic and earthy, but it's actually pushed, it's actually made a, an impact in terms of getting on the news and actually ensuring that some of these other inquest like like the the Richard Hanley one gets also yeah. recognised nationally. So in terms of you know, but it it feels like you know we're still at the bottom of the mountain yeah. in terms of the campaign. I feel like we are we're also in that kind of people talk a lot about um, when it comes elections and and news and things where you're in a bubble. So we often because uh, kind of kind of group of people we're associated with the campaigners etc and like that's who we're seeing on um, social media etc sharing these stories around whereas <laughs> the wider public may not be seeing them yeah I mean with the yeah it's, I have no idea what someone who you know I'm so close to the Justice campaign that I, mm. I can't imagine not knowing about it um, it would be very strange if I didn't know about it uh, mm. but also the thing about that that always really scared me and something that I reflect on quite a lot is our campaign was really successful 
solely mainly because of the campaigners and what my parents did and their drive but also there is an element of it that was you know luck to an extent that both my parents are academics okay. they both you know my mum had a PhD based on disability they worked in that area you know they were able to back up their sort of drive and yeah, motivation they were with, in more of a position yeah, to challenge whereas you know there's so many people who yeah aren't. there's so many people who aren't who can't sort of who don't understand the law or aren't in contact with inquest or whatever to get the to get the backing and that's the scary thing is that yeah i'm not taking away from how hard the, everyone who campaigned campaigned and how amazing what we've achieved is but that is such a it has to be recognized that you know there's going to be so many families who don't have that yeah. who don't have the backing and you know that's like you said it, it's not going to make national news if you don't have, you know if people aren't, aren't talking about it if there's not mm-hmm. a buzz and this this these reports that are coming out and this this kind of developing into people believing that having a learning difficulty is a lifelong limiting condition all stems from the lack of you know people should be up in arms like i, I can't understand it if, people are dying sort of 10, 15 years before they should be. Like, how are we not kind of flipping tables about it? But no, yeah. one, no one, it's not, it's not trending on Twitter. It's not, it's not big, you know, when Kanye West says anything, it trends on Twitter. But when, and this mm. is, you know, part of the thing, unless there's someone who's, I guess, kind of can influence society in a way, who's kind of making a big noise about it, it can go against, like yeah. ignored. So, like so, for example, we have we had Sally Phillips on, and you know she's brought big attention to the issues that she's been talking about with screening, etc. And that's how it's kind of reached that wider audience. And it's a shame that that's how it has to happen, and that people just aren't. It's, it's like the story. It's, anyway. The story itself isn't isn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it'd be not nice if we got someone like Beyonce on board. Yeah. That would make a huge yeah, yeah. difference. Well, we'll send her a tweet. Yeah, see if she wants to come on. If she's listening, we don't know. Hey, Beyonce. No one's ever told her she doesn't. Never was that, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's that, you know, that sort of reach. You know, reach. But I think, you, you know, I think the fact that we have, not only do we have these campaigns, but we have these walks as well. I mean, the coming over at LB has grown from, yeah. and you know I, I did two two you did your own solo I, I did my own <laughs> solo one just, just the main one was sort of postponed until last Sunday so I thought right I'm, I'll, I'll do one while 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 they were all walking just because <coughs> hey to reflect and be Canning Hill Park's really nice it's a nice yeah. place to go for a walk you know, and there's, you know, you've got the swans and the squirrels and and everything else. So it's you know, a nice pleasant walk and a nice think. And then also, the main main walk last week was really good. You know, we spent a couple of hours walking around Sutton Park with the bus. You know, that bus get getting everywhere. Obviously, the bus gets carried across Spain. Been <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. You know, it, it, it's become, become a relic. Sound yeah. isn't it becoming its own sort of religious mm-hmm. sort of icon? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 had, I had this idea. Was I, I sort of said to Sarah last week, just thinking about being a sort of reggae and stuff. I was thinking a really good protest would be to sort of to sort of reenact the sort of walls of Jericho, mm-hmm. 
And what? Jerk off. Baritone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the walls of Jericho, obviously, they, the Israelites took Yark had come around seven times and then they blew trumpets and the walls fell. I suggested to Sarah, perhaps we ought to take the LB bus and carry it round the Department of Health building <laughs> seven times. And oh, then, then, <laughs> then, then we. I've got a trombone. Yeah, or, or we get, you know, that. that Brutusula things, but I just thought, you know, as a gesture to try and break down the walls of the Department of Health, because mm. obviously, you know, just talking about that, the, the, the mortality review is that they put these huge barriers up, and I think we need to be breaking those down. Yeah. And we, we, and we need to get Jeremy Hunt out of his comfort zone. Yeah, so. I think, um from experiences we've had, uh, like going to, we went to a board meeting and things like that, and we took a ginger, everyone made, everyone had made, like I say everyone, 300 or 400 people had made individual gingerbreads that reflected themselves, and uh, there was one for every single death in the Mazars review that mm-hmm. had gone uninvestigated, un, um, and kind of, I think a lot of the people, for them, like, you know, for Jeremy Hunt, for Katrina Percy, for these, for these big, big suits who have all this power in these areas I think it can be a case of you read the report you go oh you release the report and then but you just that's it and the human cost is missed they're just there's numbers on a page so when when they were confronted with like the, the numbers just in gingerbread form it, it can be kind of just a moment of you know, sometimes you just have to show these people who are so detached from the area that they work in like so far from the ground floor in the, in the sort of skyscraper I guess in the, in the skyscraper of um support of, of, of attempted support but the, you know the, the deaths that they see on paper aren't aren't, aren't deaths in their head it's not mm. so when you and confronting them so maybe we should just walk around with the bus and make them realise that there are people who are really angry it's not just people you know these, there's, there's a lot of people who have had enough of it and are pissed off and also it might be quite funny if I play the baritone because I can't <laughs> play I can't I can't really play the trombone either so it would be a lovely combination yeah. Mm. Well, it, it, it sort of matches the sort of discordant nature of the Department of Health currently, so it's a sort of replicating of, <laughs> of that experience, because that, that's what it sounds like to us when they don't actually say anything. Cool, I think... Uh, looking at the time, we should uh, wrap it up there. Oh, awesome. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. That's okay. We, we we should do it again. Oh yeah, more, yes. more, yeah, more, this more, is yeah, more to yeah. talk about. We've always, we're always there's always to, something to talk about. Yeah, part two. Yeah, part two. <laughs> Watch the space. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, Tom, say something cool. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I'm not very good at that. Well, we'll get there one day. We'll get there one day. I'll stop it now. What an episode. What an absolute scorcher. The reality of this is that it's the day after and we're just sat in Jack's living room, but it seems like we've just come out of interviewing John Lish. Yeah. That said, I did spend most of last night after the interview thinking about and Googling things that we'd mentioned in mm. it because it was just so interesting. Yeah, definitely. Really, um, just 
Yeah. And very clever man. <laughs> and we're gonna do that protest walking around me. <laughs> Baritone, trombone, Toblerone. All the Rones. All the Rones. I can't think of any more. But we really hope you enjoyed. Um Jack's thinking about more Rones. That's why we've paused. But yeah, uh, thanks so much to John Lesh for coming on. Um We'd like love to have him on again at some point, really. I mean, I feel like there was still so much more we could cover. Um, and yeah, is there anything else you want to say, Jack? You look mascarpone. Okay, well we're we're e? done. With, we're done with that. Um, yeah, that was really good. This is a terrible outro. See you next week. <laughs> oh. <laughs>